You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and it's our transfer talk show. We're going to be taking you through all the latest transfer rumours and stories relating to the Arsenal. We're going to be discussing some of them. We're going to be digging a little bit deeper into some of the uh, some of the ongoing situations, if you like. We're going to be talking a bit about Mikel Arteta, Hector Bellerin, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Alexander Lacazette, and players of the past who have been in similar situations to some of the players that we've got at the club now. Is Mikel Arteta too willing to alienate his players? Is Mikel Arteta part of the issue when it comes to Arsenal trying to move players on? We're going to be discussing that. I'm not saying he is, and I'm not saying he isn't at this stage, but it's something we're going to talk about. It's something we're going to get into during this edition of the podcast. I want to say a big hello to everybody watching us live at the moment. I hope you're all well. Big hello to those of you who'll be watching this back later on or who will be listening to this via podcast uh, format a little bit later on today or indeed tomorrow. Uh, We, so far, well, over the last 30 days, we've hit a quarter of a million views on this YouTube channel alone. Overall, the channel's hit uh, two and a half million views, which is excellent. Uh, So I just wanted to say a big thank you to those of you that do tune in via YouTube, but also a big thanks to those of you who listen via the audio as well, because the numbers continue to grow there as well. In fact, we've probably still got... Uh, slightly more listeners across the other platforms than we do on YouTube. So we want to get that up and we want to get it all uh, as level as possible. But the great thing is we're going to continue to bring you both options so you can decide how best uh, to consume the content, what fits in with your day. Uh, do you prefer to listen to audio only while you're walking the dog while you're at the at the office uh, without anybody really knowing what you're up to? Or do you prefer to watch the video? The choice, of course is yours. Right, let's get into some of these stories then and let's start with the rumours around Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Now, shortly before Arsenal took Brentford on in the Premier League opener on Friday night, it came out that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alexander Lacazette would both be missing through illness. Mikel Arteta gave a strange interview, I thought, before the game where he seemed to laugh while saying that the players were ill. Was that a laugh? Because He thinks this is ridiculous and can't believe where these stories come from and that there is nothing more to it than them simply being ill. And I guess I was on the fence at that point about what had actually gone on. But of course, later on, uh, it emerged, and I think it was Chris Wheatley that reported it first, that those two players are a doubt for the game between Arsenal and Chelsea at Emirates Stadium on Sunday. Now, how is it possible that you know eight days in advance if someone's a doubt unless they've got COVID or unless there's more to it. You know, that's the thing for me. And I think that report in particular is what has sparked this wider conversation and debate around Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Alexander Lacazette. We've since seen reports emerging, suggesting that the two are being disciplined by Mikel Arteta because he was unhappy with their attitude on the training ground, which again, I don't know as a matter of fact, Um, I am speculating. I am just going by the reports that I've read, but, Now we're seeing links emerging 
with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Barcelona. And this is a really hard one to make sense of because initially it was reported that Arsenal and Bar- uh, sorry that Barcelona were interested in taking the Arsenal captain Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to the Camp Nou. Now, when I first heard this story, initially alarm bells went off in my head about this one. I was like, hold on a second. We are talking about a club that cannot afford to register some of their current players, a club who have had to wave goodbye to Lionel Messi because of their financial predicament and who still have so much work to do in terms of reducing their wage bill so that they can meet the La Liga regulations and, and continue in their season with all of their players and all of their new players, etc. So why the hell would they be looking at a player who's getting around about 350 to 360 a week at Arsenal? It To me, it didn't make sense. Alarm bells were ringing and it was a story that when I added two and two together, I was getting seven. You know, it just didn't make sense to me. And then Fabrizio Romano rubbished the reports. He came out and said that Arsenal, are, uh, sorry, that Barcelona are not actively negotiating for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and they're not actually looking to bring in a striker at this stage. However, this story continues to run and it's coming from uh, different sources. I think it was Sky in Italy uh, that broke it initially. I think that Carve Solico on Sky Sports has talked about it quite a bit and has talked about ways in which Barcelona could make this happen. There's talk of Barcelona allowing Felipe Coutinho to come the other way and losing Felipe Coutinho's wages off the wage bill, which are said to be bigger than those uh, currently earned by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, would allow them to manoeuvre and get this deal done. I don't want Felipe Coutinho. I'm sorry. I I just don't want him. I think Felipe Coutinho during his time at Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp was excellent. You know, he was a real top player. He was scoring goals. He was creating things. He could carry the ball brilliantly. He had that energy and the ability to press further up the pitch and really cause teams problems. And he really fit well, I thought, into Jurgen Klopp's style of play. But then came a massive offer. Uh, for Coutinho from Barcelona, which Liverpool accepted. And in many ways, that was the catalyst for what Liverpool have gone on to achieve since. Because with that money that they brought in, with that huge transfer fee of £120 million plus, Liverpool were able to go and get Virgil van Dijk and Alisson, two people who transformed their fortunes as a football club, made them a really strong defensive outlet, added to the already really good attack that they had. Um, and, and saw them go up to another level, a level that saw them win the Champions League, a level that saw them be crowned Premier League champions for the first time in three decades. So you've got to say that Liverpool did the right thing moving Felipe Coutinho on. And, and you know, when you look at what's occurred since then, that's definitely the case. But Felipe Coutinho at Barcelona has been a flop. There's no getting a, a, around that. He's not achieved anything like Barcelona Um thought he would. He's not hit the levels that they hoped he would when they made that huge investment. He's been sent out on loan to Bayern Munich, um, who had an option to purchase Felipe Coutinho. And, you know, four, five months even before that loan spell was up, they turned around and said, we're not really interested. You know, we don't see this as a kind of deal we want to do. And was it because Felipe Coutinho was bad? Was it because Felipe Coutinho wasn't reaching the level he had previously? It was partly that, but it was partly because 
the finance was absolutely crazy. And why are we now, as Arsenal Football Club, at a time where we are supposedly rebuilding, going to go and take on this 29-year-old who hasn't played anywhere near his best football for a number of years now and, and really put a massive strain on us in terms of our wage budget and, and you know, a real strain on our resources? It To me, it doesn't make sense. And I don't want to see this deal happen. I think we do need a creative midfield player. We're talking about Martin Odegaard. Um coming in. I think that deal will probably be done, as I've always maintained throughout this transfer window. I think that deal will probably uh, get done between now and the end of the window. But Coutinho, to me, just stinks of the kind of mistake that we've made in years gone by. We've signed players that have been over the hill on big money that never delivered. So that's why I don't think Coutinho is the answer. Okay. But go back to Aubameyang for a minute and let's go back to the Aubameyang situation because if Arsenal have decided that they want to move Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on, that just highlights the level of mismanagement that we've seen at the club in the last few years. And, and it highlights largely why we are where we are. Now, we're going to do a podcast later on where we're going to assign the blame to the people culpable for Arsenal's demise. And we're going to do it in percentages. So it's going to be, for example, 50% the Cronkies, 20% Arteta, just to give you an example. So that's the episode coming later on live this evening uh, at around about 5pm. But we talk about mismanagement all the time. And to go and do a deal like that would be huge mismanagement it because it doesn't make sense plus if we were so keen to move Aubameyang on then why did we give him that contract now on the one hand you're saying we did that contract to protect his value and I understand that Arsenal have been burnt in the past by not being able to tie players down and essentially uh, being forced into a corner with regards to those star players and having to sell them on the cheap or what we believe was the cheap etc uh, etc et so it's i get why they did it at the time but how can things have changed so much how have things changed so much in 12 months you know we were celebrating pierre emery kabamyang's new contract and now we're hearing rumors that arsenal want to shift him out what has changed the only thing that could have possibly happened is he's fallen out with Mikel Arteta. And he wouldn't be the first, and I'm sure he's not going to be the last, judging by the way Mikel Arteta likes to do things. My issue here with the whole Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang thing is I want to see Mikel Arteta crack the whip. I want to see Mikel Arteta be strict. I want to see Mikel Arteta um, not take crap from people. I want to see him rebuild and to rebuild. Sometimes you do need to be a little bit ruthless and harsh and weed out these types of characters, but there's a balance to be found. And sometimes if you are too hard in your approach and are too strict, maybe you'll see the benefit in the longer term, but in the interim right now, today, are Arsenal a better team without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang up front? Judging by what we saw at Brentford the other night, we're not. I know a lot of Arsenal fans were excited by the prospect of seeing following Balogun and Gabriel Martinelli given their opportunities in the Premier League. But the reality is they're not there yet. They're not at that level. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is at that level. He's proven it in years gone by. He's proven that when he's on top of his game, if you give him the right service, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will score you goals. 
Alexander Lacazette had a, a good season last season in comparison to some of his others. I think there was only one Premier League season prior in which he scored more goals and it was only one more goal. So those two players, although they might not represent the future of Arsenal Football Club and although Aubameyang has done some things that have been questionable, i.e. breaking COVID restrictions, i.e. not turning up on time for the North London derby, all of things that I've condemned him for, we're still a worse team without him. And so to give him that crazy contract and then talk about swapping him with the likes of Barcelona for a washed up has-been in Felipe Coutinho feels crazy to me. And it just says that the decision we made to give him that contract, in hindsight, has proven to be the wrong one. Now, I'm not going to dig in on Arsenal about giving him that contract because I wanted him to sign that contract. Every single one of us, after he carried us to that FA Cup, said Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is our most important player. And we were almost at a crossroads as Arsenal Football Club. It was either let another big name, important player go and start again and we'll be back to square one, or break the bank and do it. And we did it, and we all enjoyed it, and we were all pleased with it, and we were all happy with it. But it hasn't worked out. Last season, he was under par in terms of the standards that he'd set himself previously. The issues that I've mentioned there have also left a bit of a black mark on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's name for me. And if indeed this is true, if indeed there's been a falling out with Mikel Arteta now over his attitude, our captain this is, then I understand why the club feel or, or why this story is being written and, and why it would make sense for Arsenal to move on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But get some bloody money in for him. £20 million in the door uh, is, is more worthwhile, in my opinion, than Felipe Coutinho. Not because he's a terrible player. We all know he was a great player. We know he's got that ability. But you're taking a huge gamble. And it's not just the gamble of bringing him in and, and relying on him to provide you with that, you know, creative fluency and, and, and you know, that spark. It's the drain on the resources of the club because you'd be moving Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on. And in, in theory, you'd be releasing a lot of money on your wage bill that you can then go and use to strengthen the squad in other areas. But Felipe Coutinho for sure is not going to come in and take less money than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because he's already on significantly more at Barcelona. So for me, this is a deal that just makes zero sense for anybody. And I don't want to see Arsenal do it. This thing about Mikel Arteta and falling out with players and being very strict and being very strong in his management style, it works when you've got clout. It works when you're somebody who has previous, somebody who's proven at that level. I think when you're in Mikel Arteta's position, you have to rein it in a little bit. You have to tone it down a bit. And on the one hand, I'm like, come on, yes, get these players out, weed them out. But for large parts of last season, we were without creativity, without any creativity whatsoever. And we had Mesut Ozil, who had been uh, that, that player, who had proven himself over the years to be that player, not even in the squad, sitting at London Coney, doing God knows what, collecting his salary, while all that time we were struggling desperately for creativity and for quality in the final third. Now we're in a place where we, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't cause Brentford enough problems. We never had a um, 
a big, um, you know, attacking threat on uh, on Friday night. And we had Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang seemingly sitting at home for reasons other than him being ill. Now, this is my problem. You know, you take big gambles like that as a manager in terms of leaving people out for, for certain reasons. And, and then you kind of lie through your teeth to the fans. You are taking a massive risk. And if that risk doesn't pay off, if it doesn't go the way you want it to, then you have to be ready to stand up and face the criticism that is going to come your way, that is inevitably going to come your way. And Arsenal, without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and without Alexander Lacazette, without those two, are toothless. That is a championship front line, honestly. Nicola Pepe was the most experienced of those front three the other day. And we know he had a good end to last season, but we also know that he can be inconsistent, that he will have games like he did at Brentford. And based on that, you have to weigh up as a manager what's right for you and what's right for the team. And to alienate these players, you know, just seems stupid. It seems irresponsible. It seems like an arrogant thing to do. And if they've done something really bad, you know, if they have really overstepped the line, then tell us about it. I know clubs don't like to do that, but you can't expect fans to get on board with you if they don't know what's going on. People will never understand something they don't know. I always say that in life in general, you know, when people say, oh, why do people ask me this? Or why do people ask me that? And, you know, or, you know, maybe someone's going through a difficult time and they're being asked a question that's kind of sparking that, that kind of, um, that feeling inside them. And I always say to them, look, you can't blame the person who asked you the question. If they don't know what you're going through, you can't expect them to understand. And Mikel Arteta may well have a shit ton of problems going on behind the scenes at Arsenal, but we don't know what they are. And when he comes out and blindly backs the the owners and he talks about the attitude of his group and he talks about how good everyone is and how engaged and on board everyone is, then when things don't come off and we perform as badly as we did at Brentford, on Friday night, people are going to question him. People are going to dig him out. I mean, listen, when I named my team to play against Brentford, I didn't put Aubameyang in it, but I did sure as hell put Lacazette in it. And I would have also said over certain points in the season and different times that Aubameyang would be the more suited player to play as the centre forward. The problem is you take away both those options and Arsenal are incredibly weak in that area of the pitch. And now we've gone from worrying about the centre of midfield, worrying about the right back position to now worrying about the forward position. Because if this is a problem, um, you know, in terms of moving forward, if this is a problem that is deeper than those guys just feeling under the weather uh, last Friday, then I don't know how Mikel recovers from this because I tell you what, he's not going to get the money to uh, to overhaul three, four positions still between now and the end of the window. I know there were some reports yesterday claiming that Arsenal were still looking to make, um, you know, still looking to make three or four signings between now and the end of the window. But who are they going to be? I don't know. I think, as I say, Odegaard will get done. But beyond that, I think we've got a problem. Alienating players as a manager is something you can only do when you're sure it's the right thing, when you know that you can cope without them and when you know that you have that clout and that strength to be able to do that. I've talked about great managers in the past being rough 
uh, with certain players. Like, I mean, Luke Shaw at Man United is another example of a player that Jose Mourinho really alienated. And while it's proven, you know, with Luke Shaw's performances lately that Jose Mourinho was wrong in that, at the time, it wasn't met with anywhere near the same fury uh, that this is being met with. Or people weren't looking at Jose Mourinho and saying, what are you doing? Some were, of course, because people have their opinions. But Jose Mourinho has been there, done it. Jose Mourinho comes into a football club and shakes it up a little bit, banishes a couple of players. People go, you know what? He means business. And they're willing to give him that time and that trust because he's proven it in the past. Mikel hasn't done that. And for me, alienating key players, which he's done throughout his Arsenal career, not just with Aubameyang uh, now, not just with Lacazette, if indeed there is an issue there. He's done it with Ozil. He's done it with Socrates at a time where I didn't think that our defence was any better without him. He did it with um, Mustafi. He did it with, you know, and any number of players who weren't great players, but we were on our knees at certain times. And there were certain times where some of those players could have done us a job. Last season, I don't know a lot of people ain't his biggest fan, but last season we desperately needed a left back at certain points in the season. And because Mikel was so keen to crack the whip and really kind of make his mark and make his stamp, perhaps too soon, we were without Ser Kalasinac. We'd loaned him out to Schalke um, and, and left ourselves without a left-back. So sometimes when you do this and when you are that radical in your kind of way of disciplining people, Matteo Genduzzi, another example, a player that you know, I'm not that bothered as gone, I've got to be honest, but could have done a job in comparison to some of the other options. For example, I prefer him to Mohamed Elneny. You look at that and you go, well, you got to, you know, you can't cut your nose off to spite your face. And Mikel Arteta has done that a few times now. And the more times he does that, the less tolerant people are going to be to that. Said Abdullah says that, Harry, but you backed him with his decisions. I remember that. Yeah, I did back some of the decisions. I backed some of the decisions because at the time, if what we were reading and what we were hearing um, was uh, was correct, then he was right to banish some of those players. Let's 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 get it right, though. I never once backed the decision to leave Mesut Ozil out of the squad ever. Never backed that decision ever because I was a massive Ozil fan and I thought we were desperate for that type of player during that first half of the season. I definitely didn't back Unai Emery when he was leaving him out of the side either. So that one, I certainly didn't back. There's no, you know, there's no question about that. Gwenduzi, I was okay with it because I did see that side of Gwenduzi, that bit where his emotion boils over and causes us problems. But you're not talking about, you know, the difference between Gwenduzi and Elneny or Gwenduzi and Lokonga in comparison to the difference between Balogun right now, today, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is, is, is massive. You know, Aubameyang and Lacazette are good strikers. You drop off that level when you're looking at Balogun and Enketia. They're nowhere near that bracket. They're nowhere near that league at this moment in their careers. The thing with the midfield one and with the centre-back one as well with Saliba is you could say, OK, Saliba holding currently is there that much difference some would argue there is but is it a huge difference probably not at this point you know and you're talking about losing key players because of things like this and and for me it's as I said before cutting your nose off to spite your face and the more Mikel does this 
And the more he takes that hard stance and the more it blows up in his face, the more people are going to lose faith in him. And you you can't have said you lost faith in him over one of those decisions. It's been a build up that's led to people getting to this point um, with the manager. It really has. Uh, right. Let's uh, let's get some of your questions in the live chat. So pop them in, pop a cue at the beginning as well. Uh, I'd love to. Um, I'd love to uh, take some of those questions between now and the end of the stream. Don't forget, if you haven't hit the like button, what on earth are you waiting for? There are over 300 of you joining me live at this current moment. Uh, let's see where we are in terms of likes, though. We're only on 61. Come on. Let's get it up to 100 at least. That should be easy. Uh, also, don't forget this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com for all your male grooming needs. So if you're in need of some TLC down below and you're a little bit afraid of the uh, razor sharp blade, then get involved. Get yourself a Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 and you'll never worry about cutting yourself again. Not only that, gives you a fantastic smooth finish and I promise you, your partners will thank you. Manscaped have a range of fantastic male grooming products outside of the normal 4.0 as well. So please do head over to the website, check it out. You won't be disappointed. And if you use our discount code, which is 90min20, you will receive 20% off as well as free shipping on your order. Um, keep those questions coming in. We're going to come to those in just a second. Just a couple of other bits uh, I wanted to touch on. Uh, Tammy Abraham has completed his move to Roma, so there's no chance of that happening uh, for Arsenal. So you can put that one to bed. Uh, Roma with the official announcement earlier today. Uh, the Hector Bellerin situation continues to rumble on. He wants to leave the club and is frustrated by Arsenal's unwillingness to allow that deal to go through or to reduce their asking price uh, for that to happen. Uh, also, I uh, just want to quickly mention the, the game on Sunday uh, at Emirates Stadium between Arsenal and Chelsea. And we'll be previewing that a little bit later on in the week, of course. But I just find it astonishing that there are so many tickets left for this game. Now, is it partly because of COVID and people maybe still aren't uh, 100% about going back? I would have said that if all the Premier League grounds weren't packed to the rafters at the weekend. But, you know, the fact that that is the case shows you a lot, doesn't it, about the feeling towards Arsenal Football Club at the moment from the fans. There are a lot of fans bitterly disappointed, frustrated uh, and angry with what's going on at the moment. And the fact that those tickets are still available uh, says everything you need to know. So really surprised to see that. A little bit disappointed in that, actually, because I think... For all the criticism that's going Arsenal's way and is going Mikel Arteta's way um, at the moment, which a lot of it is is deserved, I think we do, as supporters, have a responsibility to get there, if we can, of course, and support our team and get behind them because they're really going to need it against a very, very impressive Chelsea side. So to, to see that so much of the stadium is unlikely to be full is uh, is quite disappointing, I must say. Right, let's go over to those questions. Let's see uh, what you guys are saying. Um, let's take this one from uh, Jacovi Andy. He says, is there anyone that enjoys the style of football under Arteta? Not the type of football Arsenal should be playing. I guess the easy answer to this is, if you win, nobody gives a shit. I've got to be honest. I, I have watched Arsenal play some brilliant swashbuckling football over the years under Arsene Wenger. And there were times where I absolutely loved it. And there were times where I was coming away thinking, why can't we just be more compact? Why can't we just be more professional, more organised and get over the line in some of those games in which we failed? So I guess 
the style becomes a side note when you're winning. If you're not winning, that's when the style becomes an issue. But right now, no, it's not enjoyable because it's very predictable. Uh, as we talked about on the tactical analysis following the Brentford game, you know exactly what Arsenal are going to do in every attack, in every move, and it does get frustrating. Um, Akshay says, do we expect Ober and Laka to be sold for even 50 million combined? And which striker can we realistically bring in? I can't see a world in which both of those guys are sold this summer. How do we recover from that? Who are we going to bring in? That's what I really, really struggle with. And even still, you know, you've got two good strikers there in Aubameyang and Lacazette. And if one's missing, you've got the other. But if you let them both go and you bring in one player... You're just one injury or one absence away from being stuck with Fuller in Balogun or Eddie Nketiah up front again. And let me just stress the point. I don't dislike those two lads. I don't think they're bad players. I don't think they're, you know, a problem. But they're not at the point in their careers where they should be relied upon and should be leading the line for Arsenal. That's my honest opinion. Uh, let's see what else uh, we've got. Um, Anwish says, uh, would you take Oba? Would you sell Ober and Laka for Gerard Moreno? I do like Moreno. Not sure he'll be as effective in the Premier League, though. Might be a little bit of an unfair comment, but that's how I feel. Um, John Daly says, it's a one-off game. Do you think we could allow Ober to go on loan with an obligation to buy? Maybe, possibly. Um, and, and you're right when you talk about Brentford as being a one-off game. And, and it's why I'm not sitting here saying Mikel Arteta should be sacked. But it is disappointing and frustrating, isn't it, after a, a season like last season, to be in this place already where we're all so disconnected and, and frustrated. Uh, Gare says, who has Mikel actually alienated apart from Guendouzi? Who is reporting a falling out between Mikel, Oba and Laka? Uh, well, you could say he's alienated uh, Ozil, brought him back into the side and then banished him, essentially. And and whether that was for, for other reasons or not, whether it was Mikel's decision or not, as a manager, you've got to be banging on the club's door and saying, hold on a minute. Hold on a bloody minute. You want me to achieve results. You want me to put out the best Arsenal team that I can. And we've got one of our best players sitting on the substitutes bench doing nothing. You, you, there was Ozil. There's Saliba as well. You know, that situation is one that I don't really blame Mikel for because I, I think that we don't really know enough about Saliba to make that decision. But what I'm saying is... This issue has occurred on multiple occasions. Only time really will tell you if they were the right decisions or not. Hindsight is obviously a wonderful thing. Uh, Michelle says, would you swap Aubameyang for Emerson, the Barcelona right back? Um, no, I wouldn't. Because even though he had an underpass season last time around, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang managed, what, 15, 16 goals? How do you replace those goals? Who do you replace them with? You know, because... Saka doesn't score enough goals as much as I love him. Emil Smith-Rowe doesn't score enough goals as much as I love him. Following Balogun, Gabriel Martinelli, would you rely on them to, to replace those goals that, that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang would, or well, we'd stop having if Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang wasn't around the squad? I just, for me, goals is one of the hardest things to replace in football. And I wouldn't replace um, uh, one of our best marksmen with a right back. I just, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I've got to be honest. Um, Carrie says, what difference would Odegaard make if Arteta stays? I think Odegaard gives us a little bit more guile in, in the attacking third. I think he 
works the ball a little bit better than some of our other players. I think he keeps it moving and he keeps the flow going. I tweeted a clip out earlier from a game between Arsenal, I think it was FC Basel, in the Champions League a few years ago where Lucas Perez scored uh, a few goals that day. And it wasn't to highlight that that was the best Arsenal team. It was to highlight the difference in the speed of our passing in the way we which, with which we moved the ball and, and the fluidity with which we'd move it from left to right. And ultimately, that's the only way you break teams down, right? If you've got teams in a deep, compact shape and you're trying to stretch them, you only do that by moving the ball quickly. So you pull people out of position. If you take two, three touches and then play your pass and slow everything down, then you're essentially giving those players to constantly shift from left to right and back again and back into position. And nobody ever gets exposed that way. For me, I'm a big believer you need to move the ball quickly with zip and with tempo and you need to run at people. And this Arsenal team, barring a few players, just don't do that. Um, Mr. SNLO says, if you were Josh now, what would you do to turn the season? Well, it's clear that they've got faith in Arteta, right? You know, whether we do or not, whether the fan base does or not is, is, is a little bit irrelevant. But you need to invest. You need to go out and buy players that are going to come in and improve this team immediately. and then. You will look at the situation and say, OK, if it's still not working, then it's the manager. Because for all his faults, and there are plenty and there are a lot of things tactically that I don't agree with, with Mikel Arteta. And we'll go on to talk about those on the episode that we're going to stream live later on today. But you look at that team and it's still not good enough, is it, on paper? It's not like you're looking at a really good team on paper and saying it's majorly underachieving. It's probably slightly underachieving. Um you know, the team that played against Brentford the other night didn't inspire me on paper. And and that's the issue here, right? And until you've got those players at the football club, it's very hard to to judge, you know, what the next step is. But equally, Mikel Arteta has to make the most of what he's got to prove that he's worthy of that investment and of that backing. And we're in this weird place where he hasn't proved it yet. But equally, can he ever prove it with this group? I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the answer is. Let's take this one from uh, Alex. He says, is Arteta going back on everything he said before? I saw Guendouzi and Ozil leaving for having an attitude or overlooking the same, yet Xhaka, who has one, can stay. Makes no sense to me. Xhaka's attitude is a different type of attitude. And this is really, really important because I've heard this comment a lot. Granite Xhaka's attitude once he crosses the white line is exemplary, I think. He works hard. He barks orders at his team. He always gives 100%. Even when it looked as though his Arsenal career was done, he bounced back and I thought got better. Aubameyang walks around the pitch like he can't be bothered. Ozil, at times, walked around the pitch like he couldn't be bothered. Um, you know, Guendouzi gave it too much of this behind the scenes, clearly, and in front of the cameras as well, as we saw at Brighton that day. And there was another game, wasn't there, where he was sort of doing this to the crowd or whatever he was doing. Um, it's it's different. You know, it's different. You can have a bit of fire. You can be a bit of a character publicly and, and sort of outside of football and do what you want without that necessarily spilling over onto the pitch. But I think with Aubameyang, we, we have seen that spill onto the pitch a little bit. We haven't seen it with Lacazette, which is why I find this quite baffling, because he's another one like Xhaka, who even if I think he's not elite level, I don't ever watch a game and say Lacazette didn't really try today or Lacazette couldn't be 
couldn't be asked today or couldn't be bothered. I do look at Lacazette and think he gives you what he can give you. Sometimes it's not enough, but that's just to do with his level. Um, so I, I do think this is a, a different situation. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Arsenal legend says, if the stadium is not full come Sunday, what will the board do? Because I've lost complete faith in my club. I didn't renew my season ticket. And why should I? We're a joke. We're a laughing stock. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say that, first of all, we're in a place now where fans feel as though, you know, look, I'm going because that's what I want to do. Okay. I don't think that not going is going to, how do I put this without it sounding? Basically, what I'm trying to say is the majority now of Arsenal's revenue comes from TV money, right? So as long as that TV audience is there, I'm not saying they're not fussed about match day income, but it's less significant than it was in years gone by. I think also when you look at the fact that the season ticket waiting list has got tons of people on it, that's why they don't really care about us. That's why they feel we're dispensable because they'll just replace us with someone else. Um, you know, the stadium isn't going to be full by the looks of it on Sunday. And, you know, that should spark alarm bells. As I say, I, I think it tells you a lot about where Arsenal are at and how the, the, the Arsenal fans are feeling about the club right now. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't think it will push them into action because I'd, I'd argue that the Emirates Stadium has been slightly below capacity now for a good few years and it's always gone under the radar. The tickets have been sold out officially, but you look around, especially in the upper tiers, I'm in the lower tier, so I can't really see from a distance the lower tiers to make that judgment. There may well be just as many empty seats there, but when you look up, you can visibly see those empty seats and you can tell that, you know, there are people who have season tickets and just haven't bothered turning up. So it is, um, it is a bit of a concern. It is something that should be a concern, but whether it will push them into action or not, you know, people not turning up, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not so sure. I've got to be honest. Uh, let's uh, let's go over to the Super Chats because uh, we've got a couple of those. Big thanks to uh, Prince Varagese, uh for his very, very kind donation. He says, a small token of my appreciation for your podcast. Thank you very much, my friend. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the support. So, uh, yeah, thanks again. Um, great stuff. Let's, uh, we've got another super chat. Let me just take it before, uh, they disappear because they do disappear off of here and I hate missing them. Uh, that one's from Said Abdullah. Thank you so much, mate, for your, uh, very, very kind donation as well. Really, really appreciate all you guys' support. Don't forget if you haven't already done so, please hit the like button. Um, it really, really does help gets the video out to as many people as possible and subscribe to the channel. If you are new, if you'd like to go one further and become a member, support me to bring you more Arsenal and football related content on a daily basis, then please do click on the link in our description and check out our membership proposal. Right. Let's take uh, this one. I saw a couple of people asking uh, about a fan's phone in about doing another one this week. You know what? If you guys want it, we'll make it happen. Uh, I'm just trying to think what day will be best, what day I'll be able to make it happen. Um, I will come back to you on that just because we've got some shows scheduled in with some guests for the rest of the week. So it would have to be shifted around. I thought about Thursday, but I've gone back to playing football on Thursday. So that's going to be a little bit difficult. Let me see what I can do and, and we'll get one 
uh, chucked in before the weekend's game, uh, for sure. Uh, Wandering Minstrel says, do you think Arteta struggles with dealing with big players? Xhaka gets frustrated maybe with other team members not putting in as much effort. Um, I think it's Mikel's style. I, I think that Mikel, and I've said this quite recently, comes across at times a little bit arrogant. I, I really do. And I think when you come across in a little bit of an arrogant way and you're not getting results, I think that makes you unlikable. And there will be players within that Arsenal dressing room that look at him and say, hey, you're giving it, Mr. Big Bollocks. You sit there, you talk to us in a certain way. You walk around as though, you know, your shit don't stink. But actually, what are you doing that has changed this club's fortunes? What are you actually delivering in terms of results? And the answer is not very much. So it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I I do think that he has had problems dealing with certain characters and certain personalities. I don't think he's been as good as maybe Arsene Wenger was at getting his arm around some of those mavericks, if you like, some of those questionable characters and keeping them on the straight and narrow and then extracting the very best from them. If you think about Robin Van Persie, he's another good example of a player who had lots of issues before he joined Arsenal. Um, Arsenal took a chance, took a gamble of it on him because Arsene Wenger had confidence and belief in the guy's ability, but also in his ability to be able to extract the very best from him and put him on the right path. And he did that. I don't think Mikel's developed that much yet as a manager. And I think that is one of the, you know, I, I get accused of defending him all the time blindly, which I don't, you know, I see all the things that you guys see. Um, I don't necessarily think that sacking him today is the solution to everything, but if I am being critical of Arteta, the biggest issue for me is his man management. I think that's a big problem. I think with some uh, people, his style has been uh, has been great. It's really helped them flourish. It's really um, worked well. But I think with certain characters, it needs adapting, and I don't think he's worked that out yet. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I am on that. Um, Haroon Laguna says, "Do you think the players are right to blame the manager for poor results?" I don't think they can solely blame the manager for poor results. I think players have a responsibility and often that responsibility and that kind of percentage of, of who's kind of responsible is, is a lot bigger towards the players than people would have you believe. But you can't sack off a squad of 22 players as easily as you can bin one manager. And that's often for me uh, why you get this situation. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's see. Um, you know, how it goes, but the players have to take some responsibility, but equally, if they're trying something that they're being asked to do week in, week out, and it's not happening and it's not working, then they've got every right to question that for sure. Right. We are going to leave it there. Uh, thank you all so much for your brilliant interaction, your comments, your questions, your super chat donations and all the rest of it. I really, really uh, appreciate your support. I'll catch you all a little bit later on today with another live stream. If you are an audio listener, our next episode will be available in the podcast uh, world. First thing tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. on Wednesday, you'll be able to download that one. Subscribe, smash the like button, leave us a review if you're listening via the audio platforms. Check out Manscaped and we'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.